Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. This is episode 135. So before we get started, I'd like to announce that Catherine Scott and James Lewis will be judges for the Macrofab Design Contest Blinket LED, sponsored by Mauser. Catherine Scott's Twitter account is at kscotts with a Z, and James Lewis' Twitter account is Bald Engineer. Go check out their Twitter channels, and I think Bald Engineer chills out in our Slack channel as well, so go hang out with him. A lot of people hang out in the uh, the Slack channel. It's like 140 people now. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's and and uh, it, for for a while there, it was you know on and off conversation, but if you get on there. In the general channel, it's pretty much all day, like nonstop. There's there's something interesting going on. So, yeah, I think there's people that are chatting at like four in the morning on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm liking the the little culture that's uh, getting uh, developed there. It's it's fun. Everyone has it's interesting because everyone there is a these people who talk regularly. They're like experts, kind of in their field. And so they always have something to, if you have, have a question, just asking it, someone in there will know something about that subject. Oh, absolutely. Or, well, but at the same time, if nobody knows, like, I, I had an experience the other week where where I, I posted a question up and I just got a whole bunch of people researching it alongside of me. The question I asked was, uh, if, if I had a copper wire... What would be the bend force if I wanted to bend that wire? Uh, and and it, not, there wasn't like a, a, a distinct answer, but there was a lot of people chiming in with, it's probably something like this or, you know, posting links and all kinds of stuff. So it started a kind of lively conversation about that. That, that kind of stuff happens all the time. <laughs> all the time. It's great when that community that we're building there has like that interest or curiosity to solve problems. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I hope we sold it well, well enough there. <laughs> I hope so, too. I really like that Slack channel. Yeah, both Parker and I, um, we're, we're on there. So, you, you know, if you want to come by and say hi, come on. Uh, so, uh, Parker, uh, you got some cool stuff for us this week? Yeah, so I've been uh, working, of course, on the wagon over the weekend, kind of working through the electronics, kind of reverting stuff back to stock. Uh, and the big thing was the AC. So we've got the AC module sorted out. So the second thing I've been kind of working on is the uh, interior stuff like the chime module. So this is like the thing inside your car that when you leave your keys in and open the door, it goes blong, 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 blong. Um, and also <laughs> like makes noise when you leave your lights on, that kind of stuff. Yeah. This being an older vehicle, all those kind of electronics are in little plastic boxes that are plugged into places instead of being incorporated into like a circuit board uh like behind your dash or whatever. Oh, so it's like a bunch of different modules that service different things. Yeah, so there's actually a thing called a chime module that's a of course on the schematic a black box that's got wires that go to it. <laughs> so I pulled it out and here it is. It is a about two and a half by two and a half inch by one inch square blue box with connectors on it. Okay. They look like relay tab connectors. Uh, I was hoping something that simple would be broken with it, like a blown diode or a blown uh, capacitors or whatnot. Like the uh, like the other module that you pulled out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I opened it up, and it has two ICs in it, which was a shock. The AC module went out of its way to design a transistor-based op-amp to not use integrated circuits. Right. Right? This thing has two... ICs in it. One is a uh, hex inverter. Okay. And the other one is a uh, AND gate. So it's all just logic. You know, Boolean glue logic. Yeah. So the part numbers are MC14001B. That, uh, that's the AND gate. And the other one's the MC14069. And that is the uh, hex inverter. Uh, also, what's interesting is I'm going to try to get the enclosure back apart. It's kind of uh, while, while you do that, let's uh, I'll, I'll describe the enclosure. It, it's, a, it's a a blue box that has a handful of holes on it, and then on the bottom side are the the tabs that look like that's for the hamsters to breathe. Right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> the little hamster that chirps when the door opens. <laughs> yeah. Before I've been trying to fix this, that's actually what it sound like. It would be like. Eh! 
Okay. Seriously, that's it, it was it sounded like it was dying. Go. That's that's awful. So so the the speaker is inside the module, right? Because that's why the, all the holes are there. Yeah, so the speaker is a metal speaker. It looks like a miniature wok with a metal can that's soldered on top of it. Huh, you know, from from, from here, it kind of looks like, um, you know those uh, coin cell battery solder-on tabs where you slide a battery into it? Yes. It looks like one of those. It's got a, I think it's a piezo, actually, inside of here. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you can, when you have it on, you can feel it, like, vibrate really quickly. It's, 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 how it vibrates is different from a speaker, I guess, um when it's vibrating sure so that yeah so that's an interesting part but that works because like it this module makes noise now um so what's what i did is i replaced the two electric capacitors on it uh one was like a one microfarad and one was a 22 microfarad and i had just had those lying around so i replaced them now makes noise but it still doesn't work correctly okay and so i was playing around with it and basically you would like touch different parts of the board and then it would start working Huh. And then I bent bent the board like this. I'm like You flexed it. Like really flexing it and it started working. So <laughs> I think I just gotta resolder the board now and it should work. That's weird. It, okay, so is it is it one of those old boards where um the solder mask is all like wavy now? It's all like puffed up and wavy? No, no. No, okay. Yeah, it looks fine. And it's and it's conformal coated too. Oh really? So they actually that's so weird that they would put that much effort into a little beeper as opposed to like you were saying earlier making a transistor you know discrete level op amp uh for the ac controller yeah yeah now it does have a discrete level it's got like a push pull transistor amplifier on it yeah basically the piezo driver yeah the piezo driver is a push pull at least i haven't like drawn it out yet but like looking at the traces i'm like yeah that's a typical probably Push pull piezo driver. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to bet you what it is is the elect- one of the electrolytics drives the frequency that that push pull transistor circuit, fl- you know, flips at, mm-hmm. and the other one does the seatbelt chime, which is a delay circuit as well. So, like, if you don't have your seatbelt plugged in, it won't beep continuously. It will just let you know every so often that you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so the uh, the MC one four zero six nine, which is the uh, hex inverter, it's got looks like it's got six elements in it. Um, is this is this thing where one of those? Do they have it set up where one of those is an oscillator for the piezo, and uh, it just I, I don't know yet. Turns on. Oh, you haven't traced it out yet. Yeah, I haven't traced out the board yet. I just got it apart today. Oh, okay, okay. So I am going to trace it apart, even though I think I fixed it. I just have to resolder it. Got you. But I am going to trace it out just so it's like being complete a uh, completionist in a video game, except it's a circuit <laughs> or it's a hardware project. <laughs> I'm I'm curious because if yeah, if if they just have hex inverters on there, then they probably have you know the, uh, some hex inverters. If you if you tie the input to the output through some RC circuitry, you can control the the rate at which it oscillates. So they probably just have some of those hex inverters tied to each other um, for the tone. Uh, just through some RC circuits. So if if the tone annoys you, I bet you could, could you could change the RCs and kind of like make it a different pitch. <laughs> well, I th- you would have to add more. So hopefully they're not using all of them. Uh, what, what do you mean by add more? You'd have to have more inverters to change the pitch. Yeah, more delay, right? Or am I thinking about that wrong? Uh, no, well, no, no, no. Like okay, so if if you if you put feedback on the output of the hex inverter through an RC time circuit. Okay, yeah. Then you can then using the uh the the R, you know, one divided by RC, you can control the frequency uh, of the oscillation. So my my electrolytic capacitor that I replaced, I'd have to go with a bigger value to lower the pitch. Uh okay, that's probably the 22 microfarad. 1 microfarad. That's the 1 microfarad in the feedback? Okay. Yeah, the 22 I think is controlling cuz it's on the other side of the board. Yeah. I think the 22 is controlling the seatbelt gotcha. chime, which is a slower delay to activate the chime. Ah, okay. So so a while ago I built um I built some theremins using a uh 4069 uh and and if you tie if you just do a straight tie from the uh output to the input on one of these things you can get it to oscillate i believe at a megahertz uh i think that's what 
that's what I got. And then, uh, and then, you know, using some other fancy stuff, you can set up other oscillators, but, but with a single, uh, 4069, you can get a whole theremin out of that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So my one question to the listeners is it's got this conformal coating on it, which when I replaced the capacitors, I just kind of scraped it off and that was fine during two parts, but now I got to resolder the whole board. What's going to be the best way to remove this conformal coating? It's kind of like a lacquer because it's yeah, it's yellow. Mm-hmm. It it almost looks like a whole layer of solder resin. Yeah, actually, it's got that that resin look to it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's some kind of sprayed on lacquer or something. And this is circa 1990, which this was actually probably built well before that, though. This was probably built in the late or not late uh, mid 80s, probably. I bet you could uh, spray some of that uh, aircraft paint remover on the back. Probably eat right through it. Oh, yeah, that'll remove it. But that might remove the solder masks, too. Yeah, eat through the board. <laughs> that stuff is awesome. It is made in Canada. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And the, and the enclosure is weird, too. Cause it's a two-piece enclosure, which is not a shock. But there's no fasteners. It goes together, and then they they hot-welded the bosses in. Oh, so you actually pried it apart. Oh, I no, I drilled the bosses out. Oh, okay. It's like a, it, was, it was like a rivet, plastic rivet, and they I just drilled out the rivet. Yeah, they they probably had um on the assembly line somewhere. They probably had some mechanism that was like a an arbor press that came down and just welded all four parts together. A panini press for enclosures. <laughs> yeah, a panini press. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Making them beeping sandwiches. And then so that, I'm working on this. This should be done by you know, hopefully next couple of days working again. Um, so hopefully next week I say it's done. You're really having to fix like everything on that wagon. Every little tiny thing. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of fixing power circuitry modules, the powered mirror circuit is also not working. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> just like so, everything is wrong with that. Car. Yeah, so in the power power and mirrored circuit, it's actually a just a switch. Okay, is what what it is. But the thing about the switch, it's it was only made for this one specific vehicle, the Grand Wagoneers, mm-hmm. from like eighty six to ninety one, and they only made like seventeen to eighteen thousand of these vehicles in that time period, and they didn't make any extra parts for the switch. And it's like, so there's only like 18,000 of these that existed, and most of them broke. <laughs> and so what exists, people want like gold money for. Like they want like 300, 400 bucks for the Switch. For a Switch? For the Switch. And the crazy thing about the Switch is, so it's a four-way joystick on it. And then there's a switch to go from left to right. Okay. But the switch from left to right isn't an electrical switch. It's actually a mechanical switch, switch that cogs the entire back of the joystick to another set of contacts oh really yeah it's crazy i really wish i i had it because i've seen pictures of it how it works i'm like that is amazing it would be awesome just to have that thing because that'll the mechanical toggle switch thing worked that sounds so over engineered yeah i know because especially where nowadays we would just do it with like a microcontroller and a tech switch oh yeah exactly Actually, yeah, no, the, the little rocker that controls all the all the directions would just be four or yeah, no, it would just be four tech switches that yeah, the yeah. rockers on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to I, I can't get the switch. I'm not gonna spend four hundred bucks on it. <laughs> um I will spend like four hundred dollars of my own time to design something that will fix it though, right? Uh, yeah, of course four hundred dollars <laughs> on the low end. Yeah, on the low end. <laughs> so I'm gonna use a I'm gonna switch the the toggle switch and then the four-way to just two four-way switches. Okay. And then use uh, two motor controllers per side. So one, two motor controllers do... One does up, down, left, right. And the other two do the other side, the right side. Um, and that way, I don't actually have to have a microcontroller in it. The Basically, the the four-way directional switch will control the, the motor controllers directly. Alps or Alps, I maybe it's Alps, has a really cool like directional switch that looks really beefy that I'm gonna use. And that's like RKJXT1F42001. And that's a really cool switch because it it's a four-way directional, 
with a push button, which I won't use, and it has an encoder, which I won't use. But it is really cool. Wow. How, how much is that? Uh, I think like six to eight bucks. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, and I, I'm actually using it because they make cheaper, just regular directional tack switches, but they don't look skookum. <laughs> and this is going to need to be skookum because it's going to be living in a door. In a door. Yeah, uh, Mauser has it right now for $6.26. Yeah. That and then the, awesome. the motor controllers I'm going to use, is, it's a uh, BTM7752G, which is by Infineron, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's way overkill. Because I like measured how much current the motors and the mirrors pull. And it's like, they pull like maybe 300 milliamps at 12 volts. And those motor controllers are like 6 amps. And I already have it designed and confirmed. Oh, you've used them before? Yeah, I've used these before. And I've... So I already have like basically I went into my like Eagle library and just started scrolling till I found motor controllers. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that one will work. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to design. The only thing I need to design is a footprint for the switch, and that's you know, and slap the board together. This so hopefully next week I had that board ordered. This thing looks vaguely familiar from a project um, we both worked on at Macrofab. I I I am almost a hundred percent certain that we've seen these come through on some. Uh, motorboards, probably because I I actually recommend that that series of motor controllers to our customers a lot. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, okay, cool. They're they're not the cheapest, but they're fairly inexpensive, and they just have crazy stats. You can pump a lot of amperage to that 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 part. Yeah, you can also hit them with forty five volts. Uh, yes, so you got a really wide operating range. Mm-hmm. Nice. So hopefully I have that board designed by next week as well and ordered. And yeah, should be pretty cool. Awesome. I'm I'm really interested to um see how that uh switch turns out. It's an encoder, a switch and a Yeah, me too. And a button, push button. Well, it's a four, it's a well, no, I'm sorry, it's a four-way thing with it's almost it's almost like a uh like a a modern game controller with an encoder rotation added in. Mm-hmm. So I, what I'm going to do with that is I'm actually, uh, when I install it, I'm actually going to super glue the encoders so the knob doesn't rotate. Ah, cool. Because I won't, I, my, for my application, I don't need them. And it'd be kind of weird if you rotated a knob on, I mean, I know it's it's my vehicle, so I know it won't do anything, but just in case someone else needs to drive it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I was, I, it's funny, little side tangent, um, but on control surfaces, I was, I was joking around with a guy at work the other day. Um, we were talking about a linear rotary potentiometer, uh, which let me, let me, let me describe this real quick. Think, think of a, uh, a, a slide potentiometer. So, you know, it's just like up, down or left, right, something like that. But think of also if the potentiometer itself w- could slide, but you could also rotate knob, the, the shaft in the knob in there. So how cool would it be if you had a graphic equalizer that was horizontal and you could slide to whatever frequency and then you could turn it to like boost or cut at that frequency. Oh, so one's your one's your frequency and and one's the uh the dB amplitude. Amplitude. Yeah. yeah. And then and then of course Of course like you had the, like the uh, scientific term for it or engineering right. term, amplitude, not <laughs> dB. <laughs> no, up down. Not not how not, not just loud. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and of course you'd have to somehow go three-dimensional with this control surface and have it be like you could pull it in or out or something like that to represent the cue of the filter notch or something uh, you know like make it just like minority report equalizer <laughs> you know like you're moving your hands all over yeah. you could actually they make um those 3d mouses yeah 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 you should turn like just can you because those are fairly pricey think about like an entire wall for your synthesizer oh have, uh, have you ever used one of those uh, I've looked at them and I, I guess use them in terms of like, I put my hand on it and like moved like the cursor around in 3d space. And I'm like, that's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we used to have a guy who worked at Macrofab. His name was Jared. Um, he was a, it was a fun individual. Uh, and, uh, he, he, after he left Macrofab, he, he got a job as, um, 
sort of like engineering tech support for some some high level um, software, and he started using a a three D mouse. And I went over to his apartment, and he was like, "Check this out!" I put my hand on it. I was just like, "Nope, nope, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not doing this." Sorry. <laughs> I wonder if yeah, any of our fun. listeners use one D mouses. What one D? Isn't a slide pot a one D yeah. mouse? Sure. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And I just yeah. I just said mouses. Oh, mouse. <laughs> mice yep so if you use a 1d mouse let us know in slack (laughs) or not if if you're one of those cool guys nobody uses a 1d mouse (laughs) (laughs) all right so steven what have you been up to uh i've been up to um completing things which that's not a Unlike me. <laughs> that's not a statement that's uttered very often on the MacFab Engineering Podcast. No, this is... No, it's not. This is momentous in a way because uh, we have actually... We, you know, me, but we because extension to the Feb, have actually completed yet another project. Uh, and and I want to say completed with a caveat. Uh, the reason why is because I don't have the knobs on my device yet. So it's not truly completed until the knobs are on it. Ah, uh, you said you were going to do that this morning. Yeah, well, that uh, I, I was, but the knobs didn't actually work. So I need to find other knobs. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so uh, I completed my micro tracer, the U tracer. Um, my tube tester uh, so everything is up and running all the code is working um, I've already taken about uh, 20 or 30 tubes worth of data um, on it so I'm super super happy with how this turned out because I had this idea to to make this about five or six years ago and in fact I used this tube tester the entire time I was running Craig amplification um, and I always wanted it in a better case and I wanted it to operate better, um, but just, you know, never really had the time. And, uh, and so like, I'm, I'm super happy that this is finally like complete. And the thing about it is, you know, above and beyond it, just being what it, uh, actually is in terms of what it actually does, it does a better job than how it was in the old, uh, enclosure because in the old enclosure, I had flying wires that connected all the signals to the tube sockets, those potentially, not potentially, you could you could visualize it on the screen when you were taking data off of this thing. It actually had oscillations. It had some crosstalk. There were some, some other issues with it. But now that I've integrated all of the um, signals onto the PCB, I could, uh, you know, I had a much better way of routing all the signals such that uh, they didn't interfere with each other. And it reflects very much in the data like the data is a lot cleaner the lines are a lot sharper uh there there was a lot of times in the past when i was testing a tube where i had to just you know look at it and be like okay i know what it's trying to do but it's not actually doing it because you know oscillations or whatnot but now it's it's much much better and i've got ferrite beads on any wires that i have going into the uh into the board now so even if there is some extra high frequency garbage on there those will probably not probably the intent of those is to kind of like clean that up a little bit, but yeah. So, so what, how, how do ferrite beads work? Uh, ferrite beads basically act as a magnetic core that wraps around a wire. So you can either have them pat, have a wire pass through the ferrite core, or you can have the wire actually loop around a ferrite core. And, uh, for high frequency signals, it actually acts as a large impedance. So, uh, effectively it just squelches high frequency noise, or the chance for high frequency oscillations, which tubes have a notorious issue with, because um, they they don't really uh, reject high frequency stuff. They'll just let it go right through. So I'm actually squelching a lot of the high frequency noise right at the source, which works really well. Uh, and I was able to on the PCB. I was able to observe a lot of specific requirements like trace spacing for high voltage stuff because i've got multiple 400 volt signals i also have some signals that can go negative 40 volts so really if you have negative 40 and 400 you have 440 volt separation between traces you kind of have to pay attention to that on your board um and crosstalk between all of those. So I, I paid a lot of attention to parallel traces. If I ever had to cross traces, I traced it, uh, I crossed at a 90 degree angle, things like that. And 
it all turned out really well. I'm super, super happy with it. Yeah, the so. I, I it's when uh we were last week after last week's podcast mm-hmm. and we were working on the code and the fact that like the moment we wrapped up all the code, like it worked. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a that's that's a good feeling. <laughs> I love when that happens. So yeah, I I basically the fact that all your hardware was solid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know the, the the basis behind everything that goes into this box. There's not a lot of like mysticism or like crazy complex circuitry. It's a lot of step and repeat. You know, there's a lot of like duplicate circuitry and stuff um, in here. So n- nothing like super special, but it is really nice when you design a circuit, you drop it in, you fire it up, and it just works. And that happened in this case. Yeah, especially with all the other pre-work you had to do, like the enclosure. Like you finished the enclosure well before you even knew your circuit board would work. I I finished the enclosure before I ordered the PCB. Um, but that's because I spent a ton of time on CAD um, and I did a whole lot of double checking that all the lines, all the holes would line up and everything. And, and that all worked. And I did a ton of stack up drawings to make sure that, you know, if I've got this board with this spacer that goes to another spacer, goes to another board with a TO220 and a heat sink on it, will it fit within the height of this box? You know, like there was a lot of that that went into it. Um, and the box I chose is a little bit goofy because it's like, it's one of the more cosmetic, I'm saying that in quotes, boxes you can buy on Mauser because it's a steel box with wooden ends <laughs> on it. Because uh, it, it, it just makes it look like a piece of tube test gear, you know? See, actually, that is why your signals are so clean. Oh, yeah. Your signals are routed, what, what was the term? Uh, by actually aligned to the wood grain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, by actually aligned, but also organically um uh, aligned at the same time you know there's an organic uh aspect to this that goes along with it the walnut <laughs> helps um direct the magnetic flux lines right yes exactly yeah, of course but only walnut does that but right 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 no pine would be terrible you would never choose that no it's terrible <laughs> so yeah no um so yeah everything's everything's up and running um i did have two issues with with the thing and when, whenever you know the thing is like with these kind of like one-off projects you don't get a chance to really prototype them you like it's just it is what it is you just deal with it uh so so two issues that i ran into one was easy to fix one was a little bit more of a pain in the ass to fix uh the first one was um i just selected the wrong part uh for one of the parts on the board so luckily it was just you know i still accidentally selected a low voltage version of a part i think i discussed this in a previous podcast so it was just a matter of ordering the other part and that was to drive the relays correct all the relays and all the seven segment displays um it basically it's just a darlington um transistor array like a uln whatever yeah it's a uln 2003 but i think i got the uln 2003 v or l or whatever it is lv low voltage yeah and 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 it was an eight <laughs> eight volt version so it didn't work so that's that's no problem the other thing and i absolutely hate when this happens and i pulled a really dumb mistake but i drew my um usb connector upside down uh so my, the pads for my usb connector because i chose a usb uh what is it a a is the one that's the big rip box b that's B. I can never remember which one it is. It's the printer one. Yeah, the printer one. I chose the printer one because I like those. They're beefy. They're good for stuff like that. Um, and and I, the data sheet for it, the the layout for it showed um, it's it showed a bottom view, uh. and I accidentally drew that as top view. So my signals, my ground, my power, my D plus, my D minus were flipped. So the this. Oh, I hate having to do this, but I drilled a hole through my PCB. Oh, no. I cut all the traces, <laughs> and I ran signals from the bottom of the board to the top. You never told me that. Flying wires. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought you. I thought I thought this would be a good venue for you oh, to hear. Oh my first god, time. that's brutal. I hate that because it like it, everything was flawless, but now I've got a hole in my PCB with flying wires going through <laughs> for the USB, uh, and and they're the high, they're, they're like the highest speed signals on my whole board, and they're the ones I have to like. Freaking oh man! Wire that way. I hate that. Uh, you know, but, shame on that company though. Are doing a bottom view. It is what it is. You know, get on the Slack, 
And and I'd love to hear if that's ever happened to you before because I've known multiple people who that has I, that's happened, happened to me before. before as well. I had to solder an SMT part upside down, rotated. Oh, you had to like flip a dead bug. <laughs> yeah, flip the I flipped the part over. It was a QFN. Flipped it over and rotated it to be right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so oh. uh, you know, excuse me, sucks, but it's uh, but it works. So whatever and the, it's all enclosed no one will ever see it if i if i ever wanted to go and like make this an actual product which i never would because it's too damn expensive but uh it's got like eight thousand dollars worth of relays <laughs> it's got it's got 56 <laughs> relays inside <laughs> but but uh i would obviously fix all of those things but whatever it it works i think so. if i built that product or built that board the first thing I would do was just toggle all the relays in sequence, just repeating and just listen oh, to it. Oh, yeah. Well, the first time I turned the board on because my microcontroller wasn't working right uh, or it didn't have any code, it actually fired all the relays. And it, the whole board was like, ka-chunk! <laughs> and it did brown out. <laughs> no, I mean, you, actually, you know what's really great about that? Um, all the relays fired. And that little switch mode power supply that I, I purchased for this, we talked about that in a previous podcast. It's a little switch mode power supply that's only a three-leg little thing that can handle 12 volts, one amp. Handled it like a champ. Didn't even get hot. And it was pulling 800 milliamps. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I'm I'm super happy with that, that little switch mode guy because it was uh, $2.50. And it means that I didn't have to design a switch mode power supply. Yeah, that, that's the one that's supposed to basically replicate a 7805 or 7812 i think in your case yeah that's right it has a uh um a 0.1 inch pitch um it's basically a 90 degree angle uh header on the uh, on the end and it has the same pin out as a 7812 uh the cool thing is though this thing can also produce negative 12 if you just uh, switch the ground and the uh and the output it'll actually rearrange itself and give you negative 12 so if you purchase two of them you can get a positive and a negative 12 that's cool yeah it's kind of nice uh so yeah yeah it's uh pretty pretty good happy with it yeah so i i can't remember the part number for that thing offhand but we'll put it in the show notes again yeah yeah for sure so um on the show notes you ask a quick question like what what would i do different if i could you know there's only one thing so far that I would do different and I don't really care too much about it, but it's just gone through my head a couple of times. Um, seven segment displays are great, but you can't display everything on a seven segment display. Um, so if I were to redo this, I would actually do them as a 14 segment display and have them be able to or 16. Uh, yeah. And have them do the whole gamut such that like I could actually display the letter K uh, you know, or something of that sort. Cause right now I can't. And technically in tube speak, the cathode is spelled with a K, but I have to display it as a C right now, or, you know, grid, you know, have a capital G or something like that. So you're going to find that one person that's like, that's a deal breaker for me with this. Project. Yeah. Like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So, so, so actually what's been, what's been really nice about this is um, for gosh, for a few years, I, I've been having a handful of 6BC8. I think that's the number. That Yeah, 6BC8 tubes lying around that have actually been part of a um, compressor, a tube compressor project that I've had for a while. I've actually built three of these compressors, um, but I'm finally getting around to building one for myself. The other two I uh, built for friends. Um, but I've had 10 of these tubes lying around, and I need four of them. And I wanted to pick the best four or the, the, the best matched four. So uh, last night I actually fired up the tube tester and I got like, gosh, a couple thousand data points <laughs> from all of the all of the tubes. So now I'm going to dump them all into Excel and I can do a comparison. So which ones are the closest together? Which ones are the closest? So you want to match the, the, the output resistance of the tube. You want to match the transconductance of the tube and the overall gain of the tube. And so I can pick the best ones, which will result in the lowest noise. Transconductance sounds like a sci-fi term that doesn't actually mean anything. I really, I love transconductance. I love it because it's such a great noise. I, and we talked about this on a podcast oh, a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's. It's a hard thing to like understand fully, but it's really easy to like explain. It's like if I put in a volt 
how many milliamps do I have control over? Basically, for every volt, how many milliamps does it control? That's that's all it does. But if you try to like visualize it and use it in equations, it just gets confusing really, really fast. But uh, overall, basically, it's just a measure of how much control your device actually has. And transconductance isn't just just tubes. Like all transistors have a transconductance value, also. Uh, so it's it's worthwhile know, knowing what it is, but it's it can be confusing. But it's also, it's not easy to, it's not like something where you can just like ask a transistor, what's your transconductance? You actually have to like measure it across a whole range of values. So it's it's an ever-changing value. I think if you could ask a transistor what its values were, that'd be really weird. <laughs> well, it's not as easy as like, you know, like a lot of like even crappy multimeters have a um, beta, oh uh, yeah, tester, beta tester, yeah. and so you you can't you can basically ask a transistor what's your gain or a BJT at least. Uh, what's you know it's funny. I always thought that was interesting that a lot of um, DMMs had a beta tester on it because for the most part nobody does that. Yeah, who's going to use a two dollar harbor freight multimeter to test a transistor right yeah no if you're the kind now i bet you someone's going to email in and be like <laughs> i did yeah. that but besides you one yeah person, well, but, but that, that 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 brings up a good point if you're the kind of person that actually cares <laughs> about the beta on a transistor or has a circuit where that's actually required you're probably going to have a better piece of test equipment than a harbor freight multimeter oh like that little tester that you had yeah uh-huh yeah that thing was great I remember one time at the Fab, you like went through like 400 2N, uh, what were they? 3904s? Oh, gosh. What are those transistors? Yes, they were 3904s. Yeah. Yeah. Because you bought like, it looked like a thousand of them because they, they came in a big Mauser box. Oh, yeah. All in the tubes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I binned, I binned a whole bunch of 3904s based off of their VBE, which is the base to emitter voltage. And um, on their beta value. And uh, the reason why I did that is because I was trying to get a hand-matched pair for a uh, noise gate pedal that I had built. And uh, if you don't have a matched pair inside there, then you get a whole bunch of extra noise and it doesn't open and close the noise gate smoothly. Uh, as soon as you put a matched pair in there, then it works just as well as you you know, expect. However, you know, like doing it by hand, the way I was doing it, it was just more uh, fun for me, I guess, because you can buy a matched pair transistor on Mauser for like six cents, you know, and 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 it'd be better than matching it by hand. Um, I think also I was doing that for um, some synthesizer VCOs. Yep, yep. And you are using them also for that op amp like eight pin op amp thing you built that's right the uh, diode compression op amp i actually you know i i i relayed out those boards last week and i bought um stuff for that because it, at um at wmd in fact this is i guess the first time anyone's announcing this it's not really a big deal or anything like that but we hold uh, diy classes every once in a while at uh, wmd and our next diy class is actually going to be a guitar pedal that i designed um it's based off of a tube screamer pedal, and so people can sign up for that. Uh, you come in, you learn how to solder, and uh, you solder up a pedal, and you leave with a pedal. That's really cool. Yeah, one of the things um, I, I, I I redesigned that diode compression op amp because I wanted to plug that in also and have that available. That's really cool. Yeah. Yay! I wish I was there in Colorado to take that class. I probably would learn a lot. Yeah, we uh, so this would this will actually be the second class that we um, that we're doing. The first class, um, some people came in and they learned how to solder, and they left with a synthesizer module. Um, so we're gonna kind of like mix it up and do some synth stuff, some guitar stuff, and all over the place. So eventually, we're we're hoping to um, open it up and have a more advanced class where instead of learning how to solder through hole stuff, we're actually gonna sit you down and teach you how to solder. Um, surface mount stuff and then you leave oh that'd be cool yeah then you can do like the more advanced stuff and that's really fun yeah now there's a bunch of a bunch of cool people at work that are really into this kind of stuff so and they want to they want to share the information in fact um uh last friday i actually opened up a class um and i had six or seven people come um and we we did a whole like two hours worth of uh, learning dip trace 
because um, there's a handful of people at work that are all, you know, they, they, they have ideas for these great projects, but they have no idea how to turn it into a schematic, turn it into a board. So we got everyone's feet wet with that. And there's already people um, creating their own little projects there. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It'll be a bunch of fun. So we talked about like what you would do different. Yeah. But what is something that you learned from this project? Uh, a little bit harder. It, well, it is harder. It's not that. It, of course, I learned something. Um, you know, even though I, I, I kind of knew how to do this already, I had to learn a whole brand new mill in order to mill this uh, enclosure. So I spent some time learning that and, uh, you know, got the enclosure all milled up. Um, I did a UV print on the top for all the artwork on there. I'd never used a digital UV printer before, so... It's difficult, but it's also not that difficult, you know. No, no. I think using those two machines, that's perfectly valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So learned how to do both of those. Um, you know, I think most of the electronics I've done before. Uh, oh, you know what? No, duh. Of course, I've never, I've never actually coded for an STM chip. So I did, I did all of that uh, from scratch. So, and that's surprisingly easier than I thought it was going to be. Well, especially because Parker helped me out on it. <laughs> well, you, I didn't have to do anything besides like tell you how to like architect the switches. Yeah, right, right. And in fact, um, have you have you put that video up? Not yet. I was meant to do that last week. And then I never, I finished editing it and it's all done. I just had to sit down and listen to it because we did a after hours podcast stream last week on Tuesday night and it sounds great. The quality's not perfect because I was just like recording the, the hangouts video. So it's like, you know, whenever Steven like loses connection and he goes all like eight bit pixels and, and stuff like that. But <laughs> I, I want to sit down and listen to it to make sure like, because we, because you know, during the, it's not it's not a secret, but like during the podcast, we always have a beer, and then after the podcast, yeah, we might have another. Might have had like three more beers <laughs> each. So by the end, I was actually a little drunk. So I want to make sure it, everything sounds good because it's going to go up on like the Macrofab YouTube channel. So I have to make sure it's like okay, this is an accurate representation of what we want to show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 the the, the re whole reason why I even ask if the video was up is just because um, that was something that we just tried out kind of off the cuff. It was something where I was like, "Hey, Parker, will you help me with the code?" And he's like, "Sure, I'm going to stream yeah. it." You know, it was it was one of those things, and it actually turned out to be a lot of fun. And we had at one point we had five other people watching, um, and and it was something that we kind of discussed that maybe we want to do um, things like that in the future where. Maybe we, you know, stream um, and discuss some one of us laying out a board or maybe even other people. I don't know. So uh, if you're interested in that, jump on our Slack channel and uh, and hit us up. And and I also would like to finally move to like video podcasts. So we still have the audio podcast, but then the video podcast would just be like recording the hangout session. So the quality wouldn't be as good as the audio version, but hey, you can actually see us talk. Our heads move around. Well, and, and, and when yeah, when we show off our little projects and stuff, you can actually see it without having to go to the show notes. Exactly. So, yeah, so, yeah, if you're interested in, uh, in watching us do, you know, stuff like that, it was, it was actually a lot more fun than I expected, and I'd love to do more, than, uh, more of that kind of stuff, especially because I'd like to get better at coding, and Parker's, he's pretty good at helping me step through it. I saw so the RFO, even though we kind of already did that already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um uh Craig this is not you Craig, different Craig with a C um <laughs> asks cost comparison between two layer and four layer boards. Are two layer much cheaper? Would a four layer board allow a smaller board area versus two layer to make up for the cost? So I he asked this on Twitter and I said depends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, in 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 that dip trace class that I that I was uh, doing last Friday, I got this exact same question where people are like, "Well, when does it make sense to go two to four layers? And if you if it just makes sense to go four layers, why not always go four layers?" Uh, and the exact same answer came up where it was like, "Well, it depends, you know, it depends." So, in the prototype world, there is a cost difference. Yes, between two and four layer, and it's. It's about double. 
when you when you look at a two layer board, uh, I like to think about uh, it as layers. So you actually have a top layer which is copper, middle which is uh, preg preg pregboard prepreg prepreg, and then another layer of copper. So you have three layers, and you you essentially have three operations of you know copper being squished down and glued and all that good stuff. Whereas a four layer you have top prepreg layer again prepreg layer again prepreg. So you have six, which turns out to be double mm-hmm. of so two, four, three, six, and it actually works out in the low volume, which is it's actually pretty close to double the cost. That's right. Uh, so in low volume, it's about double the cost. Now in medium volume boards, so this is like a hundred to a thousand. It only costs a little bit more to do four layer right per unit. But when you start doing the mass production, which is like ten thousand plus, that little bit extra adds up. So it really depends on what you're trying to design and what the ideal market would be if you really need to hammer down the PCB cost. Like the the pin heck controller is a six layer board because a four layer board only costs like two dollars less in the quantities we're running. Well, and your design really kind of demands six layers. We could easily do it in four. Uh but but your performance comes from a lot from having six layers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But we could do four layer just fine without increasing the board size, so we would reduce it by two bucks. But at two bucks over, you know, a pinball run of three hundred units is only six hundred dollars. It's going to take me longer to route. It's going to be harder to make that design work on four layer. Yeah. Right. Well, and 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 here's the thing. Uh, when when we say that uh, a four layer board for prototypes is roughly double a two layer board, that's just board cost. The assembly cost should be identical. Um, the the only thing that that might make it you know above and beyond the board cost being different is the fact that four layer boards can take longer to make. So uh, you might have a little bit of cost associated with that. Uh, at the same time oh like lead time yeah you're right right because you know sometimes two layer boards are like you know two to three day turnaround whereas four boards are like four to six day turnaround okay yeah i can see that so so yeah the the doubling is purely for the raw pcb not correct parts or labor for assembly so how i start designing stuff is basically it's like how many power planes are you doing and how many traces you're doing i've I don't think I've ever actually built a board that I was like, I need more than two signal layers. Like the pin heck board is two signal layers and everything else is ground and power inside. Um, so I think if you had a really dense design that you had to have multiple, like more than two signal layers, then yeah, you need to go for, or actually at that point, if you have, mm-hmm. if you have a board that needs Three signal layers, you should be looking at six layer. Yeah. Because with four layer, your your advantage with four layer is you use the internal twos for power, power and ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'll put it this way. So once I started moving to four layer boards, it makes routing fun again because you don't have to worry about power <laughs> and ground. <laughs> uh, so I've only ever had one board that has ever required more than two signal layers, and it actually required four signal layers. Um Fancy. Because we had a 512-pin BGA on one board, and the only way you can get all the signals out, which we used almost all of the signals, was uh, uh, eight layers. And so we had multiple power layers, multiple ground layers, and multiple signal layers. Uh, so That makes a lot of sense. That's actually a pretty good you know, compass. Um, if if you want to use that for how many signal layers you need to use is what what is the single most pin dense you know component on your board and does that require more than two signal layers that will drive uh, how many layers you have if, for most cases uh, that's a good way to put it cool so hopefully we answered that question for you Craig. Comment in the Slack channel or on Twitter. <laughs> We're pushing the Slack channel hard today. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, it's a lot of fun in there. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I chat in there all the time, so. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I'm I am in it right now. <laughs> so, um, little little side note on the on the micro tracer thing. I am going to have a uh, blog post coming up here soon on potentially a new blog. So we'll we'll kind of flag that, and you can see some more pictures of the guts and of the outside. What are you going to call the blog? I don't know yet. I got to figure I got to figure all that out. So hopefully by next podcast, I'll have all that figured out. Uh, well, and the blog post written. Craig's cool blog. <laughs> okay. Great example of what I'm not going to call it. <laughs> all right. Tweet us at Macrofab or at Macro Ninja Near or Longhorn Engineer if you have a name for Steven's blog. Yeah. that's Hey, or get on the Slack channel and tell me directly. <laughs> yeah. If you have any ideas for what I should call my new engineering blog, which hopefully this will be the first of multiple projects to get posted up there oh we should compete see who can keep it updated the most hey didn't you tell me a while ago that you were going to update once a week i've missed two weeks (laughs) (laughs) hey it's definitely a lot better than it's been though so yeah you know it has it it is so it is the thing is i've been taking pictures of everything i've been doing yeah i just haven't put them online which is it was for a long time where I wasn't even taking pictures of stuff I was building. Right. So now I've got all the evidence. I just have to upload them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I guess with that, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, topic, or name for Steven's blog, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out that Slack channel. Uh, Steven's giving you a thumbs up. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest MEP episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen, as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners join our Slack channel. Woo! <laughs>